Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this season 11 launch of Word, it's National Haiku Writing Month, and the 2024 KJZZ Haiku Writing Contest is underway. This year, we want your haikus that answer the question, what's in store for 24? Maybe that's a goal you want to achieve, a poem about a career change, or a place you've always wanted to travel. Also on the show, one of the Valley's longest-running artistic tributes to Erotica returns just after Valentine's Day with an art, music, and poetry festival. The rules are this. You dress as yourself, you perform as yourself, and you interpret the erotic however you would like. It's also Black History Month. We'll talk with NPR's Aisha Roscoe, who's edited a new book of essays about historically black colleges and universities titled HBCU Made. I wanted to have a wide range of essays from people from different generations. And obviously, you know, if you can get Oprah in your book, I think you should. But first, an international writing competition that celebrates exceptional storytelling is underway now. It's called the Page Turner Awards. And recently I took a virtual trip across the pond to discuss the contests with Paula Sheridan from the UK. My husband and I started it up uh, five years ago. We started off with just a book award and a writing award. And then the second year, we, because we had a lot of screenwriters asking to include a screenplay contest, so we ran a screenplay award. And now we have actually the three awards, but we also include a writing mentorship award and we include a young writer and a golden writer. So writing award is for unpublished writers. Uh, book award is for published writers and screenplay award is for screenwriters. So yeah, we it's very exciting. We're in our fifth year. We've got lots going on. And this year we, we've just uh, announced two new awards, which is a culture award and the Phoenix Award. What are you looking for with respect to those two new awards? For the culture award, we're actually looking for any writing that's coming from the diversity of human experiences in different people's traditions. And then the Phoenix Award um, is also equality and diversity for writers. And really what we're trying to do there is it's we we having it as a tribute to the uh, resilience of writers and the passion of writers who've triumphed over personal challenges. So, you know, they, they might have been lots of different things. For example, they, they might be writing in a, in a language, English, that's not their native tongue. They might have overcome sort of lots of physical or mental challenges. They might be confronting, you know, a, a tragic or, or traumatic life event um, or, or just sort of, you know, working through minority issues. So all of these comes under the Phoenix Award, which is really for uh, celebrating, you know, the the spirit of writers, you know, triumphing over whatever they they're facing in their life. Paula, tell us a bit about the judging criteria and who makes up the panel of judges. What are they looking for with respect to each award? We've got lots of different judges. So we've got judges on the book award, the screenplay award, and the writing award. So the judges on the writing award would be people like publishers. They'd be literary agents and editors that are, uh, especially for the literary agents and publishers, they are looking 
to publish new writers. They're looking, in particular, they're looking for new voices, exceptional writing, writers that they can actually publish so they can actually approach the writer and say, right, we, we'd really like to publish you. And that's for a literary agent as well. Screenplay judges are looking at uh, any stories that they can produce as a screenplay, whether it's a book adaptation or whether it's a script that they've got, they can either, you know, produce the, the script as a film, feature film, or as a short film or as a TV series. And then the book award is, uh, you know, again, judges that are looking for new stories, new books, uh, writing that, that really shines above all the other stories that are coming forward. Yeah, we should say just as with a lot of contests and whether you're submitting to a literary journal, for instance, or, you know, you're submitting to an online poetry zine or something, there is a nominal cost. It's £40. Um, I can't really remember how much that is in dollars. And when will the awards be chosen and announced? The judges start judging in June, but writers, authors and screenwriters can enter their the work at any time. They can edit it at any time. They can change it at any time, right up until the deadline. When judges start judging, which is around about the mid to late June, then the judges will do their judging over the summer, over two or three months. And the winners are announced at an online ceremony in November. And we make a very big fuss of our online ceremony. We're very proud of it. We invite prestigious guests, fantastic guests that come along, guests of honour, and they they chat to the writers, inspire the, in, the writers with their experience and their skills and stuff that they've done in their, in their time. And it's kind of all working towards this big event in November. And it's a fantastic event and everybody is so hyped up and everybody is full of joy as we are because we've worked towards that and, and we're just so full of joy to see the writers that we will possibly change lives, change writing careers with you know, with all the prizes that they will get, because we give in the region of, I think it's about £45,000 worth of uh, writing prizes. So it's, yeah, it's very exciting. Indeed. Paula Sheridan with Page Turner Awards. Thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about the awards. And we'll appreciate catching up with you later this year to find out the winners. Thank you so much for having me. You can find out a bit more about the Page Turner Awards on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, one of the Valley's longest-running artistic tributes to erotica returns just after Valentine's Day with an art, music, and poetry festival. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a KJZZ podcast about literature. So what do you want to do this weekend? Maybe get some help from KJZZ's Hotspots. It's a weekly text with some of the best ideas for what to do this weekend, curated by KJZZ. Whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, or feeling a bit wild, we've got you covered. So sign up at hotspots.kjzz.org. Heart of the Arts is your connection to the exciting classical arts scene. I'm K-Box Greg Kustraba, and I interview some of today's top classical musicians, both here in the Valley and beyond. Subscribe to the podcast or listen on demand at heartofthearts.kbach.org to access these interviews. That's heartofthearts.kbach.org. Rio Salado College is proud to offer affordable online bachelor's degrees in high-demand fields such as teaching and public safety administration. Invest in your education and career without financial burden. More information at riosalado.edu. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. For decades, Alwyn House in Phoenix has hosted an erotic festival which features artwork, music, and a poetry stage. 
And we should say this portion of the program may not be suitable for all listeners. Former and only Phoenix Poet Laureate and ASU professor Rosemary Dombrowski has been a returning guest on this show. Last year, she lost her mother. And in the lead-up to the following discussion, Dombrowski mentioned that 2023 was the hardest year of her life. Nevertheless, she has persisted and will host the poetry portion of the ticketed event once again on Friday, February 16th at 8 p.m. This is the show's 21st anniversary, and that is just the Erotic Poetry and Music Festivus. The actual Erotic Art Show is celebrating its 41st anniversary, so it's been taking place for 20 years longer than the Poetry and Music Festivus that corresponds to it. Why did they decide to incorporate poetry? I think that's an interesting aspect. Well, the wonderful owners of Alwyn House have always been... um, you know, supporters of the performing arts. Uh, and I know that Alwyn House just celebrated their 50th anniversary about two years ago. And we were in part celebrating the fact that when Alwyn House opened 50 years ago, one of the first open to the community shows they rolled out was a poetry show, a monthly poetry event. So I know that they've always had a fondness for poetry. They've always been able to kind of reach into the community and find poets who were, you know, interested in performing on a stage and, you know, sometimes trying out experimental work on that stage. So it doesn't surprise me that 20 years after, you know, starting the curated erotic art show, which takes place inside the Alwyn House Gallery, that they would have added on the Poetry and Music Festivus just because of their you know, their roots in poetry. Well, you performed there many times, and you're the master of ceremonies for the poetry reading. Poetry stage, yes. Yeah. They call it the West Garden stage because it's it's almost tucked into what I would describe as a little secret garden. It's a circular stage, and depending on how they drape it and light it, sometimes we call it the vaginal stage. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's glittering and glowing, and sometimes it's draped in red chiffon. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a magical space. So, yes, I am the curator and the host of the garden stage, which we also call the poetry stage, a.k.a. the vaginal stage. This will be my seventh year hosting. You've hosted and done these kinds of things and performed in numerous venues. I think you gave a great description of how this might differ from a classic stage with bucket seats. (laughs) (laughs) Because it looks like a vagina, right? Absolutely. My gigs as uh, the laureate of Phoenix did not involve stages that looked like this very often, unless I was hosting uh, my poetry stage at the Erotic Poetry and Music Festivus. It's an intergenerational show. You know, I would call it an anything goes show, but, you know, I caution people to to pigeonhole this as, you know, what they might think of as erotic. Exactly, because it means different things to different people, right? Some folks think, oh, this is just smutty stuff. Right. And I mean, I think we all know that the word, you know, erotic, erotica, refers to you know, sexual love and arousal, uh, stuff that gets us going, which obviously some of our poets write about. But the root of that word is eros. And the ancient Greeks used that word to describe many different kinds of love. So when I reach out to potential performers, I usually start curating the show in December. I tell them the rules are this. You dress as yourself, you perform as yourself, and you interpret the erotic however you would like. And so 
it's an intergenerational stage. It's an intersectional stage. We get to experience a vast array of interpretations of the erotic um, in poetry, in sometimes storytelling form. Uh, we've had some sort of spoken word performances, obviously performance poetry. We've had some political performances because, you know, the body can be weaponized. So I think that is certainly appropriate for a show like this. Uh, some poets are going to write about BDSM. Some are going to write about queer love. Some are going to write about tormented love, <laughs> love gone awry. And some are just going to be self-deprecating and funny. <laughs> so uh, I enjoy it. And the performers range in age from about 21 to their 70s. Friday, February 16th at Alwyn House in Phoenix. It's Erotica Fest. And Rosemarie Dombrowski has been kind enough to join us. Thanks for catching up after all this time. And our condolences, Rosemarie. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. What an honor. You can find out a bit more about Professor Rosemarie Dombrowski on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, in addition to celebrating haiku, it's also Black History Month. We'll talk with NPR's Aisha Roscoe, who's edited a new book of essays about historically black colleges and universities titled HBCU Made. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a KJZZ podcast about literature. My favorite thing about KJZZ is that you bring on guests that represent different points of view. The only thing that there is is to have this consultation, and that's exactly what the Navajo have said, we want you to consult with us. I just want to walk around without changing my legs and uh, prove to all them people that put me in prison that you was wrong. You can trust KJZZ for the perfect mix of BBC, NPR, and KJZZ News. Thanks to Helen in Tempe for donating her 2008 Volkswagen Jetta to support her favorite KJZZ shows. You can donate your vehicle, too. For more information, visit cars.kjzz.org. I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on KJZZ. With true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world, Moth shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. Moth stories aren't part of the disposable daily information flow. They stick with you. The Moth Radio Hour airs Saturday at 3 on KJZZ. Welcome back to Earn. I'm Tom Maxidon. In addition to celebrating haiku in February, it's also Black History Month. Recently, I had the honor of speaking with NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday and Up First podcast host, Aisha Roscoe. She's edited a new book of essays about historically black colleges and universities. It's titled HBCU Made, a celebration of the black college experience. I'm KJZZ's local host for Weekend Edition, and Roscoe became the national host in March 2022. Since then, regular listeners have been attracted to her ebullience, her infectious laughter, and her in-depth conversation and reporting with experts from all over the nation and world. In a moment of levity, we began our recent conversation commiserating about getting up well before dawn to bring you the news. I am not a morning person, but I am gradually getting used to it. I used to have to play a lot of Rocky music and like right. do jumping jacks. And <laughs> I really had to wake myself up. But I think my body's getting a little used to it. 
Well, thanks so much for spending some time with us to talk about this new collection of essays that you edited. It's titled HBCU Made, A Celebration of the Black College Experience. And for listeners who just might not know that abbreviation, HBCU, of course, is for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. You are a 2007 journalism graduate of Howard, right? Yes, I'm very proud Howard graduate. And so what did that experience as a bison mean to you? And, and how do you think experience as a student there might have been different if you didn't attend an HBCU? You know, I can't even imagine what it would have been like if I didn't go to Howard. I mean, I going to Howard really shaped my life. Um, Howard is the reason why I got my first journalism job at Reuters because there was a business reporting class that was run by Reuters. And that's how they even learned about me. And that's how I, I got my first real job in journalism. And I worked on a student newspaper, The Hilltop, eventually becoming editor-in-chief in my senior year. And the things that I learned there, I, I still bring with me today. Um, I feel like Howard is a place where you have to come correct. And basically, you have to be prepared. You have to be ready. And you also got to know what you're talking about because right. people will call you out. <laughs> And so I learned that that was drilled into me and I take it with me wherever I go. It really was a pivotal decision in my life. This book of essays includes contributions from such luminaries as Oprah Winfrey, former Georgia State Representative and, of course, a gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. And also saxophonist and composer Branford Marsalis. Firstly, what attracts you to the essay as a form of writing? And what's your opinion on what makes a good one? Well, what I love about these essays, um, and, and you know, Branford Marsalis's essay is a great example of this, is when they really sound like the person is just telling you a story. They're able to tell it to you in their own voice. I mean, Branford Marsalis was talking about, you know, growing up in New Orleans and how, look, everybody played music. That, that wasn't anything new. But then he also talks about going to Southern and like learning about the marching style and and like, you know, kind of getting into it with some of the other people in the band. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you just get these rich stories. And that's what I think makes a great essay is when you can really feel like the person is just sitting down and they are telling you what they went through and their story. And I think that's always fun. Yeah. And it's emotive, right? You're going to laugh. You might even cry in some cases. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I definitely cried a few times because you hear some people, you know, um, Leonita Inge, who is actually um, a journalist and works for public radio in North Carolina. She tells a beautiful story about her father, who was a also a FAMU graduate like her, who passes away. And there, it's, it's just a beautiful story about homecomings and also loss and legacy. And I, I just feel like it's, it's one of those things that you get out of this book. This is always tough when you're in the editing process, of course, and we do this day to day. But at some point, you know, when you're putting out a book, you've got to really narrow down your choices. Right. And we're taught to do that as, as journalists. But how did you make your choices for the essays that you wanted to edit and include? I wanted to have a wide range of essays from people from different generations. Also, I wanted to make sure that we had not just the big colleges that everyone talks about, Spelman, Morehouse, Howard, 
because there are 100 HBCUs in this country. So a lot of them don't get as much attention. So I wanted like the Talladegas and the Dillards um, to also be represented. And so that was important to me. You know, I wanted someone who was younger, who was just coming out of an HBCU, Brandon Gilpin of Morehouse College. He's an actor. We have like the younger generation and people who've been a little, who are a little more seasoned. And obviously, you know, if you can get Oprah in your book, I think you should. (laughs) You should try. And so that was important to me. But yeah, I wanted people who had great stories, who had done great things. But, you know, not everyone is people that you, you may have known, like Oprah. But everyone has a great story to tell. Well, speaking of that, what story would you tell a young Black girl who wants to go to college? And what advice would you give her? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would tell her my own story because that's the one I know the best. But I would tell her, you know, I went to Howard as a very shy, introverted girl who didn't have a social life. And what I learned there was about how to stand in my own authority and to trust my own voice. It did not happen overnight. But I feel like at Howard, the seeds were really planted that I now see the growth. (laughs) You know, I see the fruits of those seeds today. The woman that you see today is able to stand and be confident and to speak with authority because of what I learned. And so if I can do it, you can do it too. That's what I would say, like whatever it is. And not that you would be like me, but that you would be the best version of yourself. Aisha Roscoe is NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday and up first podcast host. You're the editor of HBCU Made, a celebration of the Black college experience out now. Aisha, thanks so much for coming to Word. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to do it. You can find out a bit more about NPR's Aisha Roscoe and HBCU Made on our website, word.kjzz.org. And of course, you can also hear her and yours truly Sunday mornings from 6 to 10 a.m. on 91.5 FM or kjzz.org. All right, we teased it long enough. It's time to officially announce the 2024 KJZZ Haiku Writing Contest. Our theme this year is What's in Store for 24? Send us your three-line, 17-syllable haiku which answers that question. Maybe it's in relation to a New Year's resolution that you want to maintain. Maybe a new hobby you want to explore. A goal you want to achieve a place you've always wanted to travel, or a career change, perhaps. Or just in general, what's your plan for this year? There's a link for the contest on our website. I'm Tom Maxidon, and I'm grateful to be back for another season of entertaining and thought-provoking literary conversations. Thanks so much for listening, and to those of you who support public radio, we couldn't do it without you. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word, a KJZZ podcast about literature. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.